Before we read God's word, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also put it into practice in our lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning's Bible reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 1 to 23. This is God's holy word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send man to Joppa to bring back a a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat something, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, this morning we pick up the book of Acts from where we left off two years ago. Uh, You may remember that we finished at chapter 9, which describes the conversion of Saul of Tarsus as he made his way to Damascus to persecute the church there. Uh, It was a dramatic conversion for Saul. Saul, the persecutor of the church, was changed, transformed into Saul, the proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. But first, Paul had to spend some three years in preparation for his ministry to the Gentiles. And so we will not hear of Saul until chapter 11. But in the meantime, God is preparing the groundwork for the gospel to be proclaimed to the Gentiles. And that is what chapter 10 is about. So chapter 10 is an important chapter for it tells us of the turning point in redemptive history when the blessing of Abraham 
will be poured out beyond the nation of uh, Israel, beyond the Jewish nation, and onto all peoples of the world, just as was promised by God in the Old Testament. Now, you will notice that the narratives in the book of Acts follow the order of the Great Commission. Jesus commanded his disciples to take the gospel first to Jerusalem, then Judah, then Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. And this is what we see in, as we study the book of Acts. Up until chapter 10, we have learned that the gospel had been preached to, uh, to, in Jerusalem, and then in Judah, and then Samaria. And now chapter 10 tells us that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the world, beginning in Caesarea, where the first Gentile would get to hear and believe the gospel. So Caesarea is a seaport, uh, as you can see on the map. It is a garrison city named after Augustus Caesar. And one of its residents is a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. So verses 1 and 2 introduce him to us. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So in Roman time, a regiment consists of six centuries, and each century is made up of 100 men, and each century is under the command of a centurion. So in today's term, a centurion is like an army captain in charge of a company of soldiers. So we are told that Captain Cornelius is a devout and God-fearing person. A God-fearer is someone who has turned away from their pagan religion and embraces the religion of the Jews. And so Cornelius has turned away from worshipping the Roman gods like Jupiter or Venus. And he now prays to Yahweh. And he observed the laws of the Jews and followed the teachings, except for one thing. He is not circumcised. But God-fearers need to be saved, for they are still sinners outside of the covenant of God's people. And so Cornelius and his, peop and his family need to hear the gospel. And so God appears to him in a vision. And we uh, read this in verses 3 to 6. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And he is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now let us pause here for a moment and ask this question. Does God answer the prayers of unbelievers? Well, the answer is, of course, yes, as, as this uh, passage tells us. You see, God is sovereign, 
and He knows who has the desire to know the truth about Him. And He will reveal Himself to those who seek after Him through the Gospel. And today you may learn of uh, many believers from Muslim background. So you may have know some of them. And a common theme of their conversion, of uh, the conversions of these Muslims from uh, uh, believers from Muslim background, a common theme is this. They, they want to seek after the true God. And many of them will have a vision of Jesus. And that led them to seek out the pastor of a church or seek out some Christians they know. And from them, they get to hear the gospel and they believe. So this is a common story among converts from Muslim background. So God still is working among unbelievers. And so we should not be surprised that God is at work among unbelievers today just as God was at work in the life of Cornelius. So Cornelius is a soldier trained to obey and when instructed by the angel, he immediately gives order to two of his servants and a devout soldier to go to Joppa and bring back Peter who is living with Simon the Tanner. You can see that Joppa is south of Caesarea, not very far away. So the next day, as the three men approached Joppa around midday, Peter is on the roof praying. Now, it is probably Peter's habit to find whatever time he has to pray. Now, this is a habit that Peter has learned from Jesus himself. And you may know uh, through the gospel accounts that Jesus often, during his uh, earthly ministry, Jesus often would withdraw from the crowd and went, in, went to a desolate place to pray. And so this is a good habit that we today can learn and, and we will do well to learn. Uh, as Bill has shared with us um, at the conference, and we, we were told that um, one of the challenges facing the church today is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. And many churches do not pray together. And I'm sure many of us do not have a regular time of prayer too. And, and the challenge is that pastors should take the lead in exemplifying the discipline of prayerfulness. So I want to encourage all of us to develop this habit, this discipline of daily prayer together as a church. So we can set the goal to pray at least three times a day. Um, I don't mean, I know some of you pray three times a day uh, when you have your meals, um, but I mean, we want to have the habit of praying three times a day where we set some time, we deliberately set some time, even five minutes, to pray in the morning, uh, at noon, and before bedtime or in the evening. So in the morning, you could wake up or soon after you wake up, you, you can thank God for a new day and you can ask God to fill your heart with love and grace as you 
you intend to spend the day, the new day, to glorify God. And you may want to pray for opportunities to do good deeds and share the gospel with people. And of course, if there is a special task ahead for the new day, you pray for strength to do that special task. And then around midday, you want to pray again. You don't have to go to the rooftop. Wherever you are, at your laptop or during your lunch break, you pray. You pray for strength to continue to do the day's work. Maybe you need to pray for discernment in dealing with some issues in the office. Or if you are in the healthcare, uh, your healthcare provider, you may want to pray for your patients. And you may want to pray for opportunities to talk to a colleague about Jesus. And the third time you pray is when you retire at bedtime or in the evening. Again, you give thanks to God for the day's work. Thank God for sustaining you through the day and for keeping you from temptation and delivering you from the evil one. And of course, if you have sinned and you repent of your sins, and you may want to also end the day by praying for the world and for the church, for anyone that you may want to pray for. So, so these are the things that we can pray for. And we can have that habit to pray three times a day. So, so this is one way that you can discipline yourself to have a more consistent prayer life. You don't have to be legalistic about the number of times you have to pray a day. Three times is a good number to start with. You may want to start with two or even once a day. But the idea is to develop that habit of praying throughout the day, spontaneously and in a reflex manner, to pray and ask for God's grace to meet your every need and to seek His uh, guidance and, and be dependent on Him. And I think that was what Peter was probably doing at noon. He was seeking guidance from God for his ministry. And God answers his prayer in a way that he least expects. So verses 9 to 10 tells us that about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted to wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance now it is unusual for a hungry person to fall asleep while waiting for uh, his meal I know some people may have hypo hypoglycemia and they may fall asleep but I think this is very unusual here I think Peter falls into a trance he didn't fall into a sleep okay uh, that he falls into a trance suggests that this is a supernatural event and God is behind this event. And there is a purpose for Peter to fall into this trance. And we read this in verses 11 to 16. So Peter saw heaven open 
and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now you can imagine Peter to be confused by this vision. And there are clean and unclean animals that he is asked to kill and eat. And Peter has no problem eating the clean animals. But he has never eaten anything that is not kosher. And like all Jews, Peter has been strictly observing the dietary laws that God has given to the Israelites. And, but now it seems that God is repealing the dietary law. God is telling Peter, it's okay now to eat. It's okay now to eat pork, to eat all the un unclean things because God has made them clean. And so this raises a question. If God has changed the dietary laws, could he not also change the moral laws? And this is the argument of some people who argue that it is now okay to have same-sex marriage because moral laws, like dietary laws, can be changed. So how do we respond to this kind of argument? Well, we respond by saying that this is a misunderstanding that, that if you think that the moral laws can be changed like the dietary laws, you are misunderstanding the difference between the two kinds of laws. You see, the moral laws reflect God's holy character. And God's character does not change. God is always holy. So the moral laws do not change. They remain the same in the Old and the New Testament. And that is why the Ten Commandments are still applicable to us today. And that is why marriage will always be between a man and a woman. But the dietary laws, on the other hand, they do not reflect God's character. You see, the dietary laws were given to the Israelites as a way to help the Israelites live in obedience to God. But the Israelites wrongly used these food laws as boundary markers. Boundary markers to exclude the Gentiles. And they ignore the fact that God has chosen Israel so that they can be a light to the Gentiles and be a blessing to the Gentiles, thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all peoples on earth. And so because they ignored this part, the Jews kept the status of 
them being chosen as God's people, they, they use that as a sign of superiority over the Gentiles. And they developed a deep prejudice against the Gentiles. They had little interaction with them, and it was a taboo to enter a Gentile's home. And they would not bear witness of God's goodness to the Gentiles either. And as we know, they are supposed to do that. And we have the good, the, the, the classic example in Jonah. You may know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Now, Jonah was called by God to preach to the Gentile city of Nineveh. But Jonah refused to go there. And it was in Joppa, the same city, that Peter is now being called to witness to a Gentile. It was in Joppa that Jonah tried to run away from God's calling. But as you know, God stopped his plan through a storm and a big fish. And so Jonah reluctantly went to preach the Ninevites, uh, preach to the Ninevites. And even then, Jonah was angry with God when the Ninevites repented and escaped judgment. So, so you can see the deep divide, the deep divide between Jews and Gentiles because of this misunderstanding of the purpose of the food laws which caused the Jews to build a wall around themselves, a wall, figuratively speaking, a wall to protect their Jewish identity and to keep out the Gentiles. But this wall is now broken. It's now broken with the coming of Christ because it was never God's intention to keep out the Gentiles. The Gentiles are included in God's redemption plan. That is why the food laws are now being changed. All food is now clean, for God has made the unclean clean. But it is not so much about the food that God has made clean. It is more about the people, the people, both Jews and Gentiles, that God has made clean through Jesus Christ. You see, we are all unclean. We are born sinners. And there is nothing we can do to make ourselves clean. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, as Isaiah tells us. But thanks be to God, in His great mercy, God gives new birth to anyone who believes in Jesus. And with the new birth, we are made new and we are made clean. Our sins are forgiven and God declares us clean and righteous. This is what justification is. God declares us righteous when we put our trust in Jesus believing that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So, brothers and sisters, you have been washed. You have been washed in the blood of Christ. You are now clean. Clean to do God's work. And what is God's work for us? God's work for us is to share the good news 
of Jesus with other people, including people whom we may be prejudiced against. And that was what God wanted Peter to do. Peter was prejudiced, like all Jews, he was prejudiced against the Gentiles. But God wanted Peter to bring the good news to Cornelius, a Gentile. And so the vision of the unclean things made clean was to remove Peter's prejudice against the Gentiles. And so just as Peter wonders about the meaning of the vision, uh, the three men sent by Cornelius appear at the gate of Simon's, uh, the tanner's house, and the Holy Spirit directs Peter to let the men in, and Peter invites them in. And look at verse 23, it says, Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And we will learn next Sunday how Peter will follow the men to Caesarea, to share the gospel with Cornelius. But verse 23 speaks beautifully of Christian hospitality. And so you must understand the background that Peter is so prejudiced against Gentiles, but now he is willing to invite them in as guests. So this is Christian hospitality, a hospitality that overcomes the barrier of ethnicity, a hospitality that removes prejudices. It is a hospitality that is the result of a changed heart, a heart that is transformed by the Spirit of God. To know that God has made clean, what God has made clean, we cannot call unclean. So Peter has broken the taboo, and so must we today. You see, today we may have our own prejudices against certain people, or certain groups of people. Perhaps we may write off a church because they belong to a liberal denomination. Now, when I was a young Christian, I belonged to a denomination that prided itself to be true to the Bible. And we became legalistic. And we were also uncharitable towards other Christians who belonged to um, other denominations, especially to the liberal denominations. And so we got a reputation of being self-righteous. But we think that we are righteous and we are good. But by God's grace, I repented of that prejudice. When I learned that God has also made clean people in other denominations, in different denominations, because they truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I repented of that prejudice. But then I fell into another different kind of prejudice. Now you may remember that some 10 years ago, there was a Stop the Boats campaign. Stop the Boats campaign to keep refugees out of the country. And many of the refugees were from Afghanistan. They were from Iraq. And they were there was a fear that ISIS might operate through these refugees to further their cause of spreading militant Islam. 
And so I was afraid, and I'm sure many Christians were afraid too. And so in my heart, I wished the government would keep the refugees away. But one day I was rebuilt. I was rebuilt when I heard a speaker sharing his gospel work among the Muslims in Melbourne. And the speaker thanked God for the refugees coming to our shore. Because he says that in Australia, the refugees, especially those who, who came from Muslim countries, they had the best opportunities to hear the gospel, which they would never have if they were back in their own country. And furthermore, if they do come to believe in Jesus, there is no risk of persecution from the government. And so this speaker established this ministry and he thanked God for the refugees and he worked among them to bring the gospel to these people who would never had the chance to listen to the gospel if they were back in their own country. So from that day on, my perspective on refugees changed. I began to see that God's elect were also among the refugees. So brothers and sisters, you may have similar prejudices. Perhaps you have avoided some people in your office or you have avoided your neighbour because they are a bit different from you or you don't like their style or their culture or whatever. But you can change. And God will change you. Ask God to overcome your pride and your prejudice. And know that God's elect are among the people you may be avoiding. So pray that you be the person that God uses to bring the gospel to them. So be hospitable. Invite them as your guests. And remember, what God has made clean, we must not deem unclean. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the pride and prejudice we may hold against our neighbours, against our colleagues, or against any group of people because we deem them dangerous or we deem them unworthy of your grace, please forgive us. And please fill us with your love for all people, for we know that in Christ we are all one and there is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And please use us to bring the gospel to the people who most need to hear it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.